Greetings, it's good to be with you again as we continue our journey through the book of Revelation. And we are continuing in Revelation 1, 9, 10, and 11. And let me read that text for us. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Now, we started last week to look at this pericope, and we entitled this section, Revelation 1, 9 through 11, as Living Through Tribulation. And living through tribulation, first of all, has to do with identity. And that's the first point of this text. We looked at that point last week. It has to do with identity, what I believe about myself. And I ask the question, who am I? The second point that this little pericope makes has to do with reality. And we're going to look at that today. The second point has to do with with reality, and that's in verse 9. And it is where I find myself. And I ask the question, where am I? Identity, I ask the question, who am I? Reality, I ask the question, where am I? And then the third point, which we're going to be looking at uh, today, is priority, and that's in verses 9 Uh, excuse me, verse 10 and 11, and it is how I respond to where I am, and I ask myself the question, how am I going to deal with this? So this text forces us to ask ourselves three questions. Who am I? Where am I? And how am I going to deal with this? Last week, we looked at, or last time, it was two weeks ago, we looked at identity. And we saw that identity, first of all, has to do with relationships. Number one in relationships is the relationship I have with Jesus Christ and learning to abide in him. The second relationship I have is as a brother or a sister and the importance of having fellowship with other people in the body of Christ. And the third relationship is I need to see myself as a partner in becoming an overcomer and helping other people to be overcomers. So identity, first of all, has to do with relationships, my relationship with Jesus, my relationship as a brother or a sister, and my relationship as a partner in mission with other people. Then there was my calling, and we saw there were three parts to my calling, to our calling. First of all, the tribulation. And we saw that tribulation is inevitable, and so I've got to learn how to deal with it. And it could be personal tribulation, something that I'm only going through. 
I could have had a death in my family. I could be in the middle of some kind of affliction or sickness. I could have lost my job. Uh, I could be uh, oppressed by um, people that, that are really out to get me. Uh, I could be oppressed by the evil one. There's a number of things that could be going on in my life that has to do with, per, with, uh, with personal tribulation. Then there is also what I call corporate tribulation, something that everyone is going through at the same time, and it's a universal thing that's going on. And that can happen in time of war or in time of uh, uh, a disease in which we're in the midst of right now, a plague, a famine, a flood, all of those things that happen that bring tribulation to to any number of people, not just me personally, and we share in the tribulation together. And then we also talked about the great tribulation uh, that is coming uh, before the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And these three things, the tribulation, then the kingdom, the kingdom is real, and I must live in it. The way that I deal with tribulation is to learn to live in the kingdom. And we talked a lot about the kingdom of God and what that means. And the final point we looked at under calling was patient endurance. And that is necessary and I need to practice it. Because tribulation comes to throw me off. Patient endurance, I practice that so that the kingdom can advance in my circumstance and through me. Now we want to look at the, the second and the third points that this text makes, and it has to do with reality and priority. And before we look at that, let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, for you indeed are our rock and our salvation. Well, we want to continue to look at this section, the second half of verse 9, and then verse 10 and 11. And there are two points, point number three, or excuse me, point number two, and then point number three, that this section deals with. We looked at the first one last week, identity, and this week we want to look at the second point, reality, and the third point, priority. Now, reality has to do with my circumstance. And I ask this question, where am I and why am I here? These two questions, where am I and why am I here? And then priority. Priority has to do with the choice I make. And there are three elements to this, worship, revelation, and action. And so let's look first of all, first of all at reality. Reality has to do with my circumstance. And I ask myself the question, where am I? Now, where are you right now? What is your person, personal circumstance? What are you going through? What do you find yourself in the midst of? What's troubling you? What's bothering you? What um, has happened in your life to cause you to feel uh, that you're in tribulation? 
Um, what are your circumstances? What's plaguing you? Those are some of the things that you want to ask yourself. Now, in John's situation, he was on the island of Patmos. That was his circumstance. And it was a small island in the Aegean Sea. It was off the coast of Asia Minor, which was basically Turkey, that area off the coast of what we now would consider Turkey. And he was in a Roman place of banishment, and it was a penal colony. So that's where he was. That was his circumstance. Now, none of you are in that type of circumstance, but that really doesn't matter. Every circumstance that we're in, we not, may not be banished to a, a penal colony, but each of us, in some way, we might feel banished, we might feel like we're a prisoner, we might feel like we're held captive, we might feel like we're in the midst of a great difficulty, and that's the commonality of this. John was where he was, and he had to deal with it. We are where we are, and we have to deal with it as well. And the, the question, not only where are you, but why are you here? Why am I where I am? Now, John uh, was, on, on there, was there on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. You see, that's what put him where he was. His life was involved with the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. That's what he was centered in on. Now, let me just read some passages because you can see in John um, this great idea, this great ideal of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus and how this was central to his life. Listen to the very first thing that he says in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, in the great opening of his gospel, sees Jesus as the Word of God, the purest, most exact expression of the Father, the greatest communication from God to us, is in Jesus Christ, and that was central to John's life, the Word of God. Listen later on in his letters, First uh, John chapter 1. Listen to what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the Word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John was so taken up with the Word of God. And he communicates to us that he had a relationship 
with the living word. He saw, he touched, he heard, he was there. John is the beloved disciple who laid his head on Jesus' breast at, the, at, the, good, at the, the Last Supper. Imagine that, just for one moment. Imagine that you're a person who actually laid your head on Jesus' chest. What did that feel like? What did he smell like? That's how real Jesus was to John. And John calls him the word of life. And he says, listen, we continue to have fellowship with the word of life, and we want you to have this fellowship. Isn't that amazing? Then in 1 John um, chapter 4, in verse 14 and 15, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. Do, Do you see that? That was the testimony that John preached, that the Father sent the Son to give eternal life, to bring salvation. And if we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, then we have salvation. 1 John uh, 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know you have eternal life. You see, the testimony that John gave is this. I'm writing these things to show you, to testify to you how you know you have eternal life. There are people, they don't know whether or not if they die tomorrow, they would go to heaven. And so many people I talk to say, well, I just hope I've done more good things um, than bad things. Um, You know, no, that's not it. Whoever has the Son has the life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have the life. It's, It's very simple. Do I have Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as my only Savior? Do I see His work on the cross as something that affected me personally, and do I receive him personally and his work personally, one-to-one, me and Jesus, no one else in between us, and saying, Lord Jesus Christ, I know that you died on the cross for my sins and to defeat Satan and to give me salvation, so I receive you as my Savior." If you've done that, then you have eternal life. That's the testimony. You don't have to wonder if you were to die in your sleep or or die of the coronavirus tomorrow or get hit by a car or any of the things that can happen in life, what would happen to you? Because the testimony, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus is this. You have eternal life in him. He is God's gift of salvation. And all one has to do is receive that. That's it. It's so simple, and that's why Satan hides it from people. He tries to make it so complex that no one can ever understand what it means to be born again or to be a Christian or to have salvation. It's that simple. And John opens up 
the book of Revelation, as we saw a few weeks ago, and he, with this theme in Revelation 1, 1 and 2, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the thing that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Now here's some questions. What is the circumstance you find yourself in right now? Whatever the reason for that circumstance, John was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and because of the testimony of Jesus. Now, you're in your circumstance, maybe for a different reason, but you're still in that circumstance. And the question, the second question is, how is the enemy trying to silence the word of God in you and your testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, because that was Satan's plan in, in getting him and getting John banished to to the island of, of Patmos, is Satan wanted to silence John, to silence the word of God in him, and to silence the testimony of Jesus in him. And that's the same strategy that the evil one would use against you and I in our tribulation, whether it was brought about by someone else, by our own foolishness, or something that God did in his sovereignty, it doesn't really matter why it happened. The fact is we are on our own island of Patmos, aren't we? And Satan wants us in our circumstance to be silenced, that the word of God and the testimony of Jesus would not be real in us. It would be silence. Now, I want to spend some time looking at why John ended up where he did. Because it's important to us. Because the pattern is going to be exactly the same. Now, up until 64 AD, Christians were given great favor as Christianity was simply considered a sect of Judaism, and Judaism was given great freedom in the Roman Empire. The Romans really didn't care who you worshipped as long as you didn't cause any trouble. So you could worship anyone you wanted to. Um, it, it really didn't matter to them. Just don't cause any trouble in the empire, and you'll be fine. Now, in 64 AD, what happened is there was the great fire that many historians believe that uh, Nero started because the Senate wouldn't go along with his building project that he had for Rome. So he had Rome burned down so he, they would be forced to build. And what happened is that he blamed it uh, on the Christians. And after this, um, because Christianity was such a threat, a perceived threat to the Jewish establishment, a lot of Jews began to turn in their Christian uh, neighbors. And it seems that John was betrayed 
by someone um, because of his preaching of the Word of God and his testimony about Jesus. Now, with the advent of the Emperor Domitian, a new totalitarianism took place in Rome. It took hold in the Roman Empire. And in this, the state became the center of people's lives in a way that it had never been before. And it was the, the, the big government uh, in which your whole life depended on the government and the Roman Empire. And so much so that Domitian declared that he was a god and he needed to be worshipped. And the state became everything in the lives of people, and the leader of the state became godlike, and people were to worship him. Now, this brought Christianity in direct conflict with the culture of the time, because, see, the culture changed. Up until that point, the Romans could care less about who you worship. They had their own household gods, and, and, and uh, there were lots of religions in the Roman Empire, Judaism and Christianity, two, the two of the primary ones, but there were other ones as well. And then with that fire, things, things changed and Christians became suspect. And then when the new emperor came on board and demanded uh, emperor worship, then all of a sudden um, uh, Christianity starts to come under great oppression. Now, Tertullian, who was a Christian author from Carthage of that time, a little later than this, um, he's called the father of Latin Christianity and the founder of Western theology. And I've read some things by him, an amazing teacher, um, and you'll have to look him up. But in any event, he writes that that during this time, when John was was, um, betrayed and sent to Rome, that the emperor had him put in boiling oil, but nothing happened to him. Now, there's not a lot of other sources that back this up, and and I don't think Tertullian would have made this up because that's not the type of person he was. He was a scholar. But in any event, after this, um, John was banished to Patmos. And again, it was Satan's desire to silence the preaching of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus in the life of John. Now, I want us to think a minute about how this same thing is happening today and how the the church is coming in conflict with the culture. Now, the church is going to come under great persecution, especially as we get into the the last time of the end times. But it's not going to, to be because um, who we believe Jesus is. But it's going to come because we hold to what he's, his teachings require. Do you see the difference? You see, there's a great persecution that's already started, that's coming on the church. And I believe it's a lead-in to, to the great end tribulation. I don't know when that is, but you can see it's like the first raindrops before the giant thunderstorm. And, and 
you, you can feel those raindrops. And I mean, just think about it. Now, the church is not being persecuted because and won't be persecuted. And this is, this is the subtlety of it. And this is where we have to be wise and watchful. It's not going to be persecuted, but because we believe who Jesus is, that we believe that he's the son of God, that we believe that, you know, so on and so forth. That's initially not how persecution is going to come. It's going to come because we follow what he teaches. Do you see the difference? There are many people who look at Jesus and admire him and, and say, oh yeah, sure, he's the son of God or, or maybe he's a prophet or, or, or believe good things about him. And that's not the problem. They think Jesus is great, but the things that Christianity stands for, they think are terrible. You see, there's a, a great movement in the church today, that, that, that especially in, in some areas of the church, to separate the person of Jesus Christ from the principles of Scripture. And I've had people tell me, for example, that, well, Jesus didn't say the things Paul said, and so I'm just going to, to go by what Jesus said because he, he loved everyone. You know, he just said, follow the golden rule. You know, and, and some of the things that Paul teaches when you get into the morality of, of Christianity, it's very clear in the letters. And so there's a great movement to separate Jesus and, and the letters in red and look at that and say, well, all I'm going to do is follow that. And I don't know about these other teachings and um, I've seen that say, well, Jesus did, never dealt with um, sexual preferences. He never said anything about that. Well, first of all, he just obeyed the law and, and, and he upheld the law. And so he believed the law of Moses and so on and so forth. But you can, you can see what I, what I mean by this is that is that there's going to be a separation from the person of Jesus and, and the teachings of Scripture and that the Word of God is the Word of God. All of it, all Scripture is inspired by God. And there's, with this movement, um, the question is, will the pressure of contemporary culture influence the church so that it compromises biblical principles. Now, that's, think about this again. Will the pressure of contemporary culture influence the church so that it compromises biblical principles? Now, let me show you how this is happening in the world right now. And, and it seems like the, what, the, when things start in the world, they end up in the church. And, and that happens over and over again. Three things happened the last week that should disturb everyone. Uh, and it has to do with, with how culture is developing. Uh, just this past week, there was a, a woman who is uh, uh, head of nursing in a prestigious hospital, teaching hospital on the East Coast. 
And um, she wrote this paper in which she talked about racism and in which she talked about how she abhorred racism and how indeed um, all you know, black lives, of course, matter. And uh, she, she supported justice and, and equality and, and all of these things. And then she happened to also say, you know, how as, as a medical person, all lives matter as well. Well, the, some of the other professors uh, and doctors and students um, sent a letter say, be calling her a racist because she said that. She said that all lives matter as well, and she was fired from her position. Th- think about that just a minute. Another one, a curator of a, of a famous um, museum of a really big city, um, he was giving a lecture about including how uh, they needed to include certainly art from all races and, and, and be inclusive. And, but he happened to say, but this doesn't mean that we won't have art from white people. Of course, we're going to be have art from, continue to have art from white people. And, and he was forced to resign. Now, he's been a curator for 20 years at this museum, and, and his work has been, uh, been praised, and then, but he was forced to resign. A third example, an educator who was a superintendent in schools um, wrote a, a piece on her Facebook page about how um, she certainly supported the importance of... of supporting black people, but that all lives mattered as well, and she was fired. You have a superintendent of schools, you have the head of nursing, and the curator of a museum all losing their positions because they did not say what was politically correct, or they said was politically incorrect. Now, you may say, well, Mark, what does this have to do with the church? What I want you to see is, is this is evil. It's straight from the pit of hell. Because what's happening very subtly is the culture is changing, so there is no tolerance to stand up for anything that you believe in. Because if you do, you are threatened with the loss of your job. Now, just think about that. Think about that. It's only a few steps away, maybe one or two steps, in which all of a sudden, this is going to infiltrate the church. Now, let me give you an example of that. One of the presidential candidates has stated that if Christianity opposes an agenda that's very important to him. He, he's going to have those Christians placed on a terror watch list and that he will make sure that the government is able to spy on them. Think about that. This presidential candidate has an agenda that most 
Christians would say, we can't agree with that agenda. Um, we, we just can't agree with it. But if he's elected, people who go against that agenda are going to be put on a terror watch list and be allowed to spy on them. Think about that. There's another, here's another example. There are roughly 600,000 abortions in the United States every year. Now, there's a, a whole wing of a political party that wants to have abortion up until full term and then after, even after full term. Um, and some people in that party also feel like all babies with birth defects should be aborted. That's actually what one of them said. Think about that. Now, this is a really big deal because if that goes into law, where is Christianity going to stand? Will Christianity make a stand and say, no, this is wrong? And what's going to happen if we do? Will the state define what sin is for the church, which it already has? But you see, this is where people will say, oh, yes, Jesus is fine, but I don't believe that this is true. What the Bible says here is true. What the Bible stands for is false. Oh, you can believe in Jesus all you want, but you better not say anything that is politically incorrect. Now think of the implications for a moment. Will the state define what sin is for the church? Will the church be forced to accept the state's definition of what marriage and family is? And if the church doesn't, will there be a loss of tax-free status? Will the, will the church be dictated to what it can preach and what it cannot preach? Will the churches be fined? Will they lose their property? All of these things are great possibilities if you see the pattern that's already happening in the world to people who stand against some of the agenda that's going on right now. And they, they actually believe in it, but they have a little different take on it. It's, it's a frightening time because this is how Satan works. People become so used to this happening that the step into the church is not far. And look at what's happening in California in which the churches are told because of the virus they aren't allowed to sing. And yet protesters can be out in the street and, and do whatever they want and they're given freedom to do that but the church cannot sing. Now think about that just for a minute. It's satanic. And it seems so simple and so subtle, and yet it isn't. Well, what should the message of the church be in this? Will God hold the church accountable if we remain silent? You see, political correctness and the cancel culture are going to come against the church. And it may come 
a point where for, for the idea of evangelism will be so foreign to people that the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus will be a reason that we will be put into banishment. Now that's already happening in the world, but it's coming to our country, and I don't believe it'll be long. Listen, I I found this somewhere. First we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate evil, then we persecute those who still call it evil. Isn't that amazing? First we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate evil, then we persecute those who still call it evil. Listen to what Isaiah warns. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah 5.20 The word of God and the testimony of Jesus was so to the forefront of John's life that in preaching the word of God and testifying about the Lord Jesus Christ, it brought him into complete conflict with his culture. And his culture tried to kill him tried to silence him and banished him. And really, it was just Satan wanting to kill the word of life. Well, the second point has to do with priority. What choice will I make? And I've already shared with you that before the Lord Jesus Christ comes, in Thessalonians we saw there's going to be a great rebellion and there's going to be a great falling away. And I wonder, does the great falling away take place because there is pressure on the church to conform to culture and to give up what the Bible teaches about things because it conflicts with culture so that the message of Christianity is no longer about sin and repentance, but it's simply about making people feel good and be happy. And so the church becomes apostate. Just think about that for a moment. And my wife says, Mark, you say that too much. Think about that. But we really need to be thinking about these things. Well, uh, The second point that I want to make has to do with priority, and this is the third point. First point, identity, reality, priority. But the second point of this session today is priority. What choice will I make? And we see that what John, the choice John made 
was to worship God. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Isn't that beautiful? Here's John. In his old age, they threw him in oil. They banished him. He's on this penal colony, which is not a nice place. And he's, he would be tempted to be resentful toward God, to blame God, to have a bitter attitude, all of those things. But here he is making the choice to worship. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I want to, to just read um, this, a couple verses for you. Listen to this. Habakkuk 3, 17, 18, and 19. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on, on the heights. Isn't that amazing? Let me read another one, Isaiah 54.10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Everything can fall apart, but God doesn't fall apart. And will I make the choice to worship him? Psalm 46, 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake where they're surging. And then one more. Psalm 22, 23 and 24. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. You see, in the tribulation of our souls, whether it's personal, whether it's corporate, or whether it's the great tribulation that's coming, that we see inklings of now if we open our eyes, will we make the choice to worship in the midst of the circumstance? And the thing that John's heart was prepared, you see, God had already prepared John's heart for this. Listen to what he, he, he told the disciples in John 15. That's why I believe John was worshiping, because he knew it wasn't a surprise to him. Listen what John recorded in John 15, 18 and following. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Also, if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for sin. 
Will I make the choice to worship the Lord in the midst of my circumstances, no matter how terrible and hopeless they become? Has God prepared my heart? And is he preparing my heart to see how tribulation is real and how I need to deal with it? And I can only deal with it if I believe in a sovereign God. And listen, trusting in a sovereign God, no matter what, I'm in some bad circumstances because of my own doing. And, And that's my fault, not God's fault. But God's still God in the circumstances, and I need to trust Him. Listen to some Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. I make known the end from the beginning, and the ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I do all that I please. Listen to what Job says, Job 23.10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Listen to what David says, Psalm 31.15. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who persecute me. Psalm 138.8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. Trusting in the sovereign Lord will lead me, will lead us to a place of revelation. You see, that's how it works. In the midst of tribulation that God has prepared my heart for already, because we know the truth about tribulation, will I make the choice to worship God because he, I know that he's sovereign. If I do, it's going to lead to revelation in the midst of my circumstance. God's going to reveal himself. Look at what happens to John. I, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. John chooses to worship God in the midst of his tribulation, in the midst of his banishment. He chooses to worship God, and God honors him by revealing himself to him. I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. It reminds me of Isaiah 30, 21. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, you, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. This is the way. Walk in it. Isn't that beautiful? And I think in both cases, why the voice is behind us is because God wants to say, turn around, Look at me first, then go forward. And that's what happens to John. We'll, we'll see next time. But see, revelation comes because I choose to worship. And then revelation is always meant to lead me to a place of action. And this is what the voice says to John. Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. And there's the action that John is to take. There's the revelation he's to have and the action he's to take. I want you to write it in a book and you're to send it to the churches. It's exactly again like Isaiah 6, 6, or 6, 8, excuse me. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send?
and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. You see, in the midst of whatever tribulation that you and I are going through right now, we believe that God is sovereign. He's God over it all. That his, our times are in our hands, that he's ordained things for us. So we make the choice to worship. Satan would like to keep us from worshiping, but we make the choice to worship. As we make the choice to worship, we're given revelation. And out of revelation comes action, and God says, this is what I want you to do. The place that Satan intended to be a prison for John became a place of vision and revelation and power. It's the same for you and I. The place, the circumstance that you're in, that Satan is using tribulation to make it a prison, God intends for it to become a place of vision and revelation and power if we make the choice to worship him. The desire of our Lord is for us to make the choice to worship him in the midst of our tribulation because we trust in his sovereignty. He will always prepare our hearts because he loves us. And if we make the choice to worship him, we will receive revelation and he will show us the action he desires us to take next. Isn't that beautiful? Well, I know I've given you a lot to think about. And I I hope that you'll consider what's happening in the world right now and be very wise and see how it's going to infiltrate the church. We need to be watchful. We need to be prayerful. We need to be wise. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for these dear people who are listening to this. And I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon them, that you'd prepare their hearts, and that whatever tribulation they find themselves in right now, that they would make the choice to worship you. And in the midst of worship, you would give them revelation, and then you would show them the action uh, you want them to take. Watch over and protect them in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to your glory. Amen.